Welcome to the Chicago Business Review, where we introduce you to some of the most successful and sharpest minds from my hometown, Chicago, so that you can find out the secrets that have helped these professionals achieve massive success. If you want to accelerate your growth in your personal and professional life so that you can do more, have more, give more, and ultimately live the life you've always desired, then sit back and stay tuned in because you are in the right place. I'm your host, Young Lee, and you are listening to the Chicago Business Review. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Chicago Business Review. I am your host, Young Lee, a real estate broker here in Chicago, a real estate investor, and a serial entrepreneur. And I am so excited to bring on our guest this week. He is the founder and managing partner for Conscious Cup coffee roasters. They have five cafes here in the Chicagoland area and continually looking to expand. And they've also started wholesaling as well as catering and consulting for other cafes and coffee business owners. And so Michael Shipley is going to be our guest, and I am so excited to dive into our conversation because he is going to be a wealth of knowledge, not only about the coffee industry, but how you can scale a small business over these years. So, Michael, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Young. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. And I was talking that uh, I wish we were recording. uh, Yeah. Before, when we were having our chat, before we got live here, because uh, it is, it was such a great conversation. But I guess first, we'll start out with, uh, you know, how did you decide to get into the coffee business? Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and looking forward to the conversation. And uh, um, we we began roasting coffee in 2005, and we opened our first cafe in 2006. Um, I was a pretty young guy at that time. I graduated college in 2000, so began planning uh, the cafe at, in late 2003, my or 2004. My father, actually, it's a family business. My father read an article uh, called Can Great Coffee Save the Rainforest? And it was in Smithsonian Magazine. And around that time, 2004, 2005, uh, Intelligentsia had opened in Chicago and Metropolis had opened in Chicago. And there was this kind of burgeoning um, specialty coffee industry that had slowly moved from maybe the West Coast to the middle of the country and out to the East Coast. And so there were a handful of really exceptional coffee roasters that were doing really cool things and buying really great coffee and doing something kind of special. And and we were really endeared by that idea of uh, finding and sourcing really amazing coffees from all over the world and bringing them out to the Chicago suburbs and uh, preparing them in a cafe uh, for customers out here. And uh, that article that my dad read really kind of was the the tie for the knot that uh, made us realize that we could find an avenue to do well and do good at the same time. 
and coffee was really a, a great conduit for the uh, a focus on community, both at Origin, where we can try to buy sustainable products and ethically sourced products and, and bring them to consumers here in the Chicago suburbs and, and introduce something to our communities out here. And so we really loved the idea. Um, we opened in 2006. Uh, we began roasting in 2005. We hired some uh, consultants, came out and, and kind of got us in the right direction and helped us really understand where the specialty industry was at and the things that we needed to be focusing on if we wanted to be kind of a quality focused coffee operation. Um, and we went after it. We learned as much as we could and we failed a lot and burned a lot of coffee and like made a lot of bad drinks and uh, keep it and, and continue to been improve uh, over the years. In uh, 2009, uh, we should I just give you kind of the, the full story of the, of the company? So in 2009, we were getting to a point where we had, we were busy. We had one cafe. Uh, we were making really great coffee. We were getting some um, accolades in the industry and um, from kind of third-party professional coffee reviews. And we were uh, seeing a lot of customers. They really liked us. And we were winning, you know, McHenry County Reader's Choice Award cards, but we weren't making any money. And uh, we were in a uh, a point where we had to make a decision whether or not we could continue to pursue the goals in the, in the company or we needed to give up, quite frankly. It was around that time that we began talking with another partner. Um, his name was David and he worked with my, uh, with my mom and he's a former doctor and, and investor and uh, we had gotten to know each other and he had gotten to know the business and he saw the opportunity, um, but also helped us realize that, well, some of the areas that we weren't focusing on were the areas that were hurting us. And that's that financial strength in the back end, understanding our profits, understanding our cost of goods, managing it, um, you know, appropriately like a business would rather than like maybe a hobby that just hobbyists that love coffee. So we, we brought David on board. Um, he purchased equity in the company, helped us move locations. We stayed in Crystal Lake, but we closed down the store we were in and we moved to a, a larger facility on a busier road. Um, and we were uh, successful in increasing our, our revenue right off the bat in that space. Uh, but more so over the three or four years that we worked with David, um, we were able to uh, build a better uh, backbone for the business. And we learned our financials in earnest for the first time. And we got to a point where we were, it's like embarrassing to say it here, but like we were reviewing our profit and loss statements on a monthly basis. You know, we had a good understanding of our cash flow. Um, and uh, and that helped us obviously understand where we could or couldn't invest or where we were making money or where we were losing money. And so we strengthened the business over that time. It was around 2010 that we moved. It was around 2010 that we began our uh, one of our first uh, consulting projects. And at that time, we were really focusing on just coffee knowledge and training. Um, and we worked with a, uh, a company called Cook Street Coffee in downtown Barrington. And we helped the owners of the Cook Street Plaza, the building that had both two stories, three stories of residential 
And then um, a lot of business condos makes up a large footprint in downtown Barrington. The owners of that building, they had had a caribou coffee in the hard corner and uh, caribou left and they were not finding a tenant and they hired a general manager and, and they wanted to just open up their own coffee shop to get something in the space. So we helped them out and then we ended up managing that store. And then in 2013, after managing the store for a couple of years, we purchased it. And so we had acquired our second store in 2013. It was around that time that the business started to work for us. Um, and in uh, 2014 or 2015, uh, we were in a position to purchase the company back from our um, from David, from our partner. And so that worked out really well for both him and for us uh, and uh, allowed him to, uh, to earn on his investment and for us to learn from his stewardship and kind of move forward from there. And fast forward several years in 2019, we opened our third cafe in Cary, Illinois. And then uh, promptly after that in 2020, about four weeks before the pandemic hit, we opened our uh, cafe in downtown Libertyville, Illinois. Um, we were really fortunate at that time because we were busy right from the start. Um, and if you recall, four weeks before the pandemic, nobody had any idea what was coming. And so it was barely on the news and it just didn't seem like on many people's radar. And so we opened in a short window of time that year that people were paying attention and they showed up for us. And so we were, we were really grateful to be able to, to have that opening. And then we promptly shut down right when the pandemic hit, uh, like everybody else. Um, we managed through all of that. And then in 2021, um, in December, we opened up our fifth cafe in downtown Palatine at the, uh, a train station location at a former Starbucks, which has a really nice kind of, um, uh, separate building for the cafe. And we were able to do a full kind of cafe design that made it feel like a, a cool space. Uh, and since then we've been <laughs> challenged with our growth. Um, we are working right now on a 5,700 square foot warehouse where we've, um, purchased and are installing a, a larger coffee roaster, uh, facility for our, our syrup and our sauce production and some of the back end work that we do as well as offices and a training lab. Um, for our baristas and for our wholesale clients and, and, a, and a catering wing so that we can operate out of that space really much more efficiently. Um, so we've been stretching our legs quite a bit and we're, we're excited to get into this warehouse where we can begin to settle into our business a little bit more. Uh, but that's, I think, the the brief story of Content Hub. Um, <laughs> that's an incredible question. Story. Yeah, no, I'm there was a lot to unpack in there. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll try to dive in and there's a lot of different ways that I want to take it. But uh, yeah. so you guys got started and then you had like kind of a um, an optimistic vision of what you wanted the business to be, but you weren't necessarily um, business savvy at the time. Why then did you guys decide like this is the avenue? Did you say that you guys had like it was a family business prior or did you guys have any experience like running a cafe or a restaurant? Because I know there's such a high rate of failure for those types of businesses. 
Yeah. We, so the family, we don't have a family history of rest in the restaurant. <laughs> so my, uh, my mom was originally a nurse. Um, she ended up, uh, she grew through her career, um, very successfully and ended up, um, working for, she ended up selling clinical research. So she worked with pharmaceutical companies. And so she had, uh, she was working full time. Uh, my dad at the time was a loan officer. Um, and he was also working full time. When we opened, myself and my oldest brother, Jason, were the operating partners. Um, and so we were responsible and in charge of the store. Um, we didn't have a background in coffee or the restaurant industry. We Coffee really piqued our interest. It wasn't something that we grew up like knowing about single origin coffee or anything like that. And we weren't so cool that we were like exposed to it too early. Um, we had exposure to intelligentsia and metropolis and the city. Those were really, um, influences for us as we were kind of getting going. And then, you know, as a family, I think the thing that has carried through over the last 17 years and the thing that helped us, I think, get our head maybe even close to the surface in the early days was I think an understanding and a commitment to customer service and an understanding and a commitment to, um, improving quality. And making sure that we were sourcing really great coffees and we were learning about those coffees and we were roasting them to optimize flavors for the coffees. And so, you know, being able, being a maybe more gregarious family and loud dinner table conversations, we've got, I've got like 30 cousins, you know, and for most of my childhood, they all lived kind of near each other. Uh -huh. So we, we had a heart for hosting and community and family and we loved the idea of the cafe as that space um and my parents were interested in in you know in doing something like this as they were getting older i think at the time we all envisioned it was gonna just you know of course like all things it's like this is gonna take off and you're not gonna have to worry about anything mom and dad yeah, and all yeah. perfect and um and the truth is is that it wasn't and we had a lot of passion and we um we were really dedicated on learning the craft of it and so you know craft is science and art and you've got to have a a strong understanding of the science of the roasting and the, and the processing and the coffee's receiving and you've got to have um an ability to kind of bring it together in those moments while you're roasting the coffee um and we really deeply have always cared about that and i think like never resting on our laurels or ever just assuming that um, that we would get a, could get away with like mediocre coffee or anything like that that helped us. Um, but you know, to to your point, that's not everything. And you know, we you know we eventually you know the patting on patting yourself on the back doesn't pay the bills. And that's so right. yeah. it was a, it was a hard lesson, and I think a really important one for us to learn. And we're grateful that we learned it early. Um, and we managed, uh, through that learning curve. And we're also grateful that, you know, I think that like the networks of people, the people you surround yourself with, the people that you call back, you know, and like you make an effort to meet with, um, can help you in innumerable ways. And, uh, David's a great example of that and a testament to, you know, my parents who remained in touch with him and never as a strategy, but like when the opportunity arose, it made sense for him. And it made sense for us. Um, we took advantage of it.
And um, that learning curve, that process of bringing on a partner who, am I allowed to curse? Yeah. Yeah. Hey. He you know, he didn't, he didn't give a shit about the coffee to a degree. Yeah. You know, he yeah. did, but he, he did in that he knew that this was like a marketable thing and that we should continue to focus on that. But like, he's like, he's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your, your local newspaper award, you know, yeah. like, oh my and, God. uh, that's and so at the end of the day, like it does matter, but like, it only matters in so much as like the strength of the business is there and you're not doing anybody any favors. You're not growing the business. You're not creating jobs. You're not creating salaried positions if you can't ever get over the hump of profitability. And so we, we had to swallow that pill and it was humbling. Um, but it also set us up to, to understand how to succeed for the future. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I think that's one of the things that is a very common thing amongst people that succeed starting up a business. Cause like we were saying, there's so many restaurants and cafes and just small businesses in general that fail. But a couple of things that I wanted to highlight was first, you had a passion to get better and become an expert in the field that you were in. You weren't just trying to sell a mediocre coffee. And I think that that's something that people overlook is they're just like, how can I make money doing this thing? But you first started out with, hey, how can we become the best that we can be about this particular field, in which case you guys were doing coffee. And then from there you realized even if you have the best coffee, but no one knows about it, <laughs> it does no good. I feel like there's so many business people or wannabe entrepreneurs that want to start a business that think, and even successful like degree people like attorneys, accountants, doctors, you they downplay the fact that marketing and business is such a key component of it because you could be the best CPA that no one knows and it does nobody any good. And you mentioned that about your guys's business and luckily finding that partner that was explaining to yeah. you like your awards don't mean anything if yeah. no one knows about you guys or you can't sustain this business. And so- yeah. You guys have been able to expand after you figured that out and you started really diving into the math, which I think is another thing that people just don't necessarily focus on. They're like, you know what? I love baking, so I'm going to start a bakery or I love personal fitness, so I'm going to start a gym. And those are definitely the foundations to start a business is you should be passionate about it. But yeah. To be successful, you also need to understand the concepts of business. And people always think like, you know what? I want to just serve the clients, which that's what you guys do. Amazing. If anyone has the opportunity, I would strongly recommend you visiting one of Michael's locations, whether it is at the train station in Palatine or in Barrington, Cary, Libertyville, um, Crystal Lake, the original location, like they are so great at what they do now. And so to hear this backstory is 
great to hear because people tend to see the end product of like your guys's customer service is so amazing from the moment a person walks in everyone is greeted kindly they're treated well and then you guys have just amazing quality in the products that you serve as well as delicious specialty drinks because <laughs> my wife loves your guys's latte is the honeybee latte caramel yeah her favorite and, but there's so many great products that you guys put out but you were saying customer service and another thing that you mentioned when we were talking previously and i would love for you to expand upon because i feel like this is a big part of your guys's success is the misconception that people think when they're starting a business, it is about them. Um, but that is definitely not true. And what did you guys focus on or what was your guys' yeah, focus in terms of how who the star of the show is, I guess? Yeah, I think it's it's crystallized over um over time. And so I'll just I'll I'll drop a, a reference to uh story brand and don miller who does who i follow i've read his book and i follow his podcast and what he does is he, they summarize um your business is uh telling a story with its marketing and i think it's a mistake often people think of themselves as the hero of that story and just like you said young i mean you, you hear it and you hate you don't want to correct folks when you're out talking to people in the world but they're like you will hear people say I want to open up a coffee shop or I want to open up a restaurant because I'm going to do things my way, you know, and it's going to be like, this has been my goal and this is my passion. And that's all like really well and good. But I think that when it comes time to thinking about it and talking about it publicly, certainly, and when it comes time to thinking about your consumers and your customers, uh, the story is not about you at all. The story is about them. The story is that couple's first date you know, to that restaurant and the, you know, opening is, is what do they experience when they walk in and like the, what was the food like and what are they telling themselves as they leave and what are they telling their friends about the restaurant? Um, you know, the owner of the restaurant is not the focus of the story. Their role is to kind of facilitate all of these characters in the story in a lot of ways. And I think about it in two parts. So for us, in the first very real way, I mean, we, 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 like many businesses that have kind of thought about their brand, we're thinking about our demographic and we're thinking about the, the archetypes within that, those different, you know, people that we're trying to approach and what it looks like for them to come into the cafe, like how accessible is the cafe and what does it feel like if they've got a bunch of kids and like, what is the process of them getting their drink? And importantly, are they engaged? Are we asking them how they're doing? Really simple things like just literally asking people, how are you today, um, are important in that customer service model because it changes the experience from a logical kind of cash coffee, cash coffee experience to something a little more emotional. Um, and it's not like every every barista needs to be Facebook friends with every customer, you know, or, or like even have like long conversations. We got to kind of keep it moving. But those simple, really human moments, like, you know, like, hey, how was homecoming last night? Or like, is that your new dog out there or a new car or whatever it is that you can engage with people in like five seconds makes such a difference. And what it does for us is it reminds us it's not about us. It's about them. 
I mean, it'll t- we'll talk about coffee. Like they're here for the coffee. We don't have to like overthink. We need to think about it, but like make the experience about the customer. And then when we're, when they transition to waiting for the drink, you know, as we're preparing that drink, you know, again, that barista, the person making the drink, we're, 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 this is an act of service for the customer. And if we don't enjoy that and we don't appreciate, you know, the different ways to serve that product, whether it's like chatting up the customer who likes to talk or whether you're serving like, you know, an old timer that just wants to like have that perfect cappuccino, you know, and not be bothered. Like all of those things are important and it's about the customer's experience through that whole process. And also it's not about you. It's about your employees. This is another area where I think businesses make a mistake and people com- complain about their staff all the time, or they can't get good help or, or any number of like gripes of young people in the employment world. And we hire a lot of young people. The majority of our staff is in the low twenties, you know? And so, um, these are first, second jobs. They're just, you know, they're at local colleges or they've just graduated or they're sometimes high school students and they're coming into the position. And once again, this experience is not about me. It's about them. And if I can frame their experience and I can think about like them as the lead character, we want to be the best job for an 18 year old. Like we want them to have high expectations. We want them to feel like they're succeeding in something that's challenging. We want them to be able to learn how to take and manage criticism. We want them to feel empowered to speak up and speak their mind when they feel they need to, but also have like the balance of, of having to uh, work with a team and work under management and learn all of those kind of soft skills while at the same time experting, being expert in preparing coffee and engaging customers. And so coming into that whole relationship with the employee, if we position them as the hero, if we're positioning our customer as the hero, then our goal is to make sure they're having a phenomenal experience. And if our employees are having a great experience and our customers are having a great experience, then it's going to come back to more return visits. And I don't need to pump up my ego by pretending it's about me. Like it's not about me. It's about these cafes and the experiences in the cafes and the customers and their kids and that like awkward first date between teenagers and like our baristas and how they're engaging and how they feel really good after the rush. Um, I think positioning it as the customer and the employee as the hero. Um, and when it comes to the employee, the employee needs to position the customer as the hero. You know, they're the hero for me, but for them, they're not the hero. So like businesses, we're not, we're not Luke Skywalker, you know, like we're supposed to be Yoda. Luke Skywalker's out there. We want to, we want to pose the, tell them what the problem is, how we're going to solve it. And then lead them through that process like Yoda. It's not, it's not about us. No, that's, man, that was just so much great insight into how to succeed as a business. Cause I, I know it's a difficult business to succeed in because obviously you have big chain competitors and the margins I would assume are not super high um and it's more of a volume business and yet you guys are able to provide a high quality product that people are willing to pay a premium for 
because of the experience that they get having your coffee and also understanding that they're having a high quality product. But the insight about the the workers or um, the people that you know, partner with you through this journey, um, really focusing on them. I feel like a lot of business owners miss that because again, we think, oh, about us. And then they might even have the insight of, okay, well, it's about our customers, but that's to grow my business. And that's the part where I feel like people miss that next step. Even if they do understand it's ultimately about the consumer or the client that we're trying to serve. But if you're trying to scale a business, then the who that you surround yourself with is so critically important. And if you're not making them feel like they're the star, every big company that I've seen succeed, it is they've made their employees feel like they're the star of that situation or that they're empowered to grow or um, really have an input in uh, the growth of the company. And so you having that insight and being able to share that, um, I think is going to be extremely valuable to anyone trying to open up any type of business. Oh, uh, man, I can't believe how fast the time is going. Yeah. I'm like a ton of questions for you. Uh, but one thing I want, I guess, just to kind of expand on this is, like I was mentioning, I believe that there's a lot of competition out there and you can get cheaper coffee than the coffee that you guys provide. Um, you have a lot of competition. It's not a, um, of course, the coffee that you guys select is going to be a little more niche, but it's not where you're created a separate product. Um, so yeah. What do you like? How are you guys? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How are you guys making it, uh, a successful business? Um, and how do you find that balance of like pricing your product? Um, knowing that there are competitors out there versus again, making it a successful business. Cause in the beginning you guys had a great product, but you were saying that it was difficult to be profitable. What, yeah. what was that switch or how did you guys kind of come up with that balance? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it helped having the, having mentorship. I mean, quite, quite honestly, working with and like talking to people who understood how to balance books and make difficult decisions. And, you know, the, the whole context of treating your, your employees, like they're the heroes of the story is really important. Um, but it doesn't like change the fact that you've got to run the business and that part, part of their experience is they've got to come up against rules and they've got to have expectations. And, you know, if they don't meet those rules and expectations, then it's not going to work out and it's not going to work out for them. It's not going to work out for their teammates. And so, um, you know, it, it is equally important that like, uh, it feels good to talk about, like, they're the hero of the story. And all of those are really like nice things to talk about. But at the end of the day, you've got to make sure that the, the books make sense. Otherwise you're not doing anybody any favors. All your heroes are going to be w- without a job, a framework that I like to think about. And I think that this, this was really about our competitiveness, 
against other companies like Starbucks or Dunkin' or new franchises that are coming out or even new other independent coffee shops. I think that every, certainly every brick and mortar business in the United States, we're competing on four uh, kind of pillars for our value propositions for our customers. Like why do they come to us? One is atmosphere, another is service, the other is product, and then the fourth is systems. And everything that we do, you know, we can kind of funnel into one of those four pillars. And if we are really competitive in our atmosphere, in our service, in our product, and in our systems, then we know that we can compete against anybody. Um, there is kind of an outlier, and that's um, marketability. You know, Starbucks has enormous reach um, and they're ubiquitous and people know them. And so they're going to capture a good chunk of market share almost no matter what, where they're at. But that doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity for independents to compete against them. So when we think about these four categories, um, when it comes to atmosphere, you know, the look and the feel of the store is really important. Um, you know, I'd mentioned that we're remodeling Barrington and we're going to increase the size and you know, it's due for it. It's been like eight years. So you need to yeah. paint. It's got to look good. It's got to look modest. So the atmosphere is important, the visual look of it. But equally uh, important in that atmosphere is the the mood and the vibe of the store. And when you go into a restaurant and the servers are all like mad and in bad moods, like you can tell right away. It's so easy for us to perceive emotion with people. We pretend that it's not, but like, you know, right away, if the cafe is upset or if they feel like they're underwater or they're not doing things well. And so it's important that we hire good people. It's important that they are confident enough to handle constructive criticism, that they're mature enough to give constructive criticism, um, that they can um, expedite very high quality drinks quickly, um, that they can greet customers. The way they talk to each other is important. You know, we don't want people snapping at each other behind the bar. We want quick, direct language. We want to have fun. They should be engaging. They should be fast paced, professional and enjoyable. And so like all of those expectations, they can create an atmosphere. They can create a fast moving, you know, energetic, happy cafe to walk into. Um, greeting the customer is really important to that. And that segues directly into service. And it's a mistake to think that because we're independent, we can give better customer service than a, um, a, uh, a national brand. The truth is, is if you go to your local Starbucks, chances are they're going to be really friendly. It's going to be an experience. They're going to get your order right. They're going to call you by name. They're going to have, you know, they're going to engage with you. Um, we have an opportunity because our script is a little looser to allow our baristas to engage in a little bit of a different way. But we shouldn't just assume that because we're there, and because we're the independent coffee shop that we're somehow better, we have to act on it. We have to be consistent with it. And what we do, and first and most important thing is every single customer, we have to ask them how they're doing. I had mentioned it earlier, but it is really such an important thing for setting the tone of the experience and creating the type of place that we want our customers to come back to again and again and again. And that's how we can differentiate on that service side. So we of course, have to get the order right. We, of course, have to be polite and friendly and understand our customer. And our our processes for ordering need to be smooth. You know, you got to have a good reward system. You need to have 
um, a point of sale system that works. All of those things have to work. But if we can engage in a little bit of a different way, in a little more of a human way, that can be our differentiator on that value point. And that gives us competitiveness against them when it comes to service. When it comes to product, this is where we can really shine. Because we are micro roasters, because we're not buying coffee for the Eastern seaboard, you know, we're buying it for our cafes and for our wholesale accounts. We can select really great micro lots. Uh, we can roast them into unique profiles. So we're exhibiting really unique flavors and characteristics in the coffee. And we can devote the time and energy to training our staff um, and making sure that they've got both that kind of background working knowledge of what coffee is and how they can recommend different coffees to customers and talk about coffee the way that you would expect a server at an, a nice Italian restaurant to talk about wine. Um, but we have to pull it all together, you know, and that depends on having employees that care about improving and handle uh, criticism if they're not there yet, you know, with the goal of making everybody's drinks excellent. So the product has to be really excellent. And then the systems have to work well as well. And the systems may not be the area where customers are like, nobody leaves a restaurant and is like, oh man, those systems were really awesome. You know, yeah. like, it goes maybe a little under the radar, but it's equally important. Are we there on time? Are we open? You know, like how many small businesses like consistently can't get their doors open at 7 a.m. when they say they're, or 6 a.m. when they say they're supposed to be open? Like systems are, what are the repercussions for employees if they're late, you know? Systems are morning checklists, PM checklists, ask lists, maintenance lists, you know, counting the drawer down um, properly. All of those things function to make sure that we, like in a way, are not thinking about all of those things. And we can focus on the service and we can focus on the product. But systems are also, are we reviewing our profit and loss statements? Are we doing our inventory counts accurately on the end of the month so we actually know what our profit is and we're not just attributing a new pallet of coffee as um, as a loss? You know, yeah. um, all of those things really matter if you want to run a professional business and grow it um, and make profit and improve the um, opportunities for your people. And so I think the way that we beat is we really, we try to, itemize all of the things in our business into these four categories, systems, product, service, and atmosphere. And they're all kind of equal. And that's what Starbucks is competing on. And that's what Duncan is competing on. And so like, we need to make sure that in each of those territories, we can, we have an edge to draw customers to us. That is so great. Um, and I hope people rewind that and listen to that part because I think that that was so valuable in terms of running any successful business is that uh, all of those are equally as important, just like in a football game, offense, yeah. defense, and special teams yeah. all play a factor in you winning or losing the game. These four categories definitely all factor in on whether you're going to succeed or fail as a business. And I feel like a lot of businesses tend to only focus on one or two or maybe even three of those things. And then they wonder why they don't succeed. And right. so, and the underrated one, like you were saying, is systems. 
Yeah. If you don't have good systems, if you don't have good standard operating procedures, uh, it's going to be very difficult for you to grow or to scale uh, because you don't have those standards in place uh, for everyone. And so then it becomes a based upon how that person is feeling or um, different personalities or different circumstances. But when you have the good systems in place and good operating procedures, that's what makes the experience consistent over time and really helps businesses succeed. And this is no wonder why you guys have had the success that you've had. Now, I know that it's not all rainbows and sunshine, um, and we did touch upon the pandemic, Yeah, uh, and I would imagine that was at least unexpected for sure, right. but how did you guys kind of navigate that challenge, and then what opportunities do you think came of that? Yeah, that's a good question. It, um, so we had just opened up Liberty Bell. Um, and so we had just put in, you know, our cash flow was in a good position, but we had just invested in a brand new cafe. And so we went, we, and we had just opened it. And so the expectation was to get back to level and to begin profitability in that cafe and, and earn back that investment. But in particular, heading into the pandemic and man being a lower cash flow than we might otherwise want to kind of manage it, uh, Restaurant businesses like ours, we have dramatic swings in cash flow every single month, you know? And so um, we have to make sure that that's balanced really well. The first several weeks were challenging. And I, and I think about businesses that don't have their back end together, that aren't working with an accountant, that don't have P&Ls for back years, and what was necessary to just quickly apply for any of the PPP loans or the grants that were out there and available to people. We were able to pull it all together very quickly. Um, we work with a local bank who we've been working with through the through the life of the business, and they were great to help facilitate all of that. And so, just having, I think, the resources and and the partnership that I'm fortunate to have, where I can kind of focus on operations, and and I've got my parents that can help with some of this backend stuff. We were able to secure a quick PPP loan, and that allowed us to stay open. Um, whereas we would have otherwise, we would not have been able to manage the losses for that long with at the time four cafes, none of them profitable in the first weeks. Um, I mean, just everybody shut down. Yeah. Remember, we didn't know if we could go to the gas stations. Exactly. And so, um, you know, right or wrong, that was the prudent approach. We didn't know what we were dealing with. And so we wanted to be both safe for our customers and for our employees. But we quickly realized that like the, the, we had a unique opportunity in the coffee industry that not every restaurant had and certainly fine dining and sit down restaurants that, that were not able to pivot to, to go orders as easily really struggled. We were really quick to bring on and adopt a mobile ordering system. And we set up our cafes so that customers didn't have to come in and we could set drinks and keep a lot of distance and people could grab their drinks. And then we did something that was totally off topic for us. We started, we, we have really good relationships with a lot of 
local producers and, and um, farmers market type folks and farms. And so we did these market boxes where we put together, we I laugh about it now because it's like, you're just like, what, what can yeah. we do? You know, like on one part, we, we, we had received these loans and um, we were expected to keep people working. And so we had people working and we're like, we got to keep you guys busy. So uh-huh. we were, we put together and we were selling these market boxes online um, where once every you know, two weeks or whatever, people would order a box of local farmer's market type goods and we would put them together and then they could pick them up at the cafes. And um, that actually was a pretty legitimate revenue stream for us for the first month and a half. I mean, we sold a ton of those and it was really helpful because it helped to offset obviously the depressions in the in the retail side of the business. After a few months, we caught our legs and we were seeing a lot of business through our Joe ordering system. We had gotten comfortable with the way that we were serving. People were comfortable coming in, getting drinks to go. Um, and so we managed well through most of the pandemic. After the first year or so, certainly when inside seating came back, um, we got back to uh, a kind of growth. And so we were really, I think, fortunate. And I think a lot of it is just that our end of the industry, you know, people wanted to support local. And it's like, the coffee shop it's like your quintessential local thing and so like if you were writing a story you know like the coffee shop is the place you go it used to be 7-eleven we would go (laughs) or whatever but um video games yeah yeah. so exactly mortal Kombat. but um (laughs) a street uh, i know it the the pandemic i think it strengthened us in a lot of ways um, I think that we earned a lot of um, trust from our employees in the way that we handled it. And I think we earned a lot of trust from our communities in the way that we handled it. And everything was like a landmine. By the second half of the pandemic, it's like you couldn't do anything without somebody feeling like it was the wrong decision. And I think that we were always really transparent when we would change hours or close or do something. And, and there were times where we were we were understaffed and so we weren't able to open for full hours. And these are things that pre-pandemic we would have never done. I mean, we literally, I, I cannot imagine a time where we closed early because yeah. we didn't have staffing. It was like, yeah. we would never be in that position, you know? Yeah. And so, but um, you had to kind of manage it to sustain through it. And I think we were really fortunate that we, you know, we got back to profitability and, and, and growth and, during the pandemic, we took an opportunity in Palatine, um, knowing that we were going into a, a, a pretty nice train station location. It's yeah. not, you know, for, for your listeners that don't know, it's, it's not like a, um, it's not like a concession stand in a train station. Yeah. It has only separate space. And yeah. so we were able to fully design the space and Palatine is like the third or fourth busiest train station on the whole Metro line outside of like some of the downtown stations. Wow. And so we knew there was opportunity and, and we was just going to take some time for commuter traffic to get back. And so we took advantage of that opportunity. And and during the pandemic, we also secured a location um, that we've been working on. Uh, it's taking a little longer, but building a warehouse. So we've continued to have a growth that through it. Um, it was a bit scary in the beginning, um, but the same thing with everything is your networks of people and like building trust in your community and, um, and then getting after it. I mean, we, 
we had a lot of sleepless nights and you know packaging market boxes and like poor oh. barista shifts and tweaking hours and long conversations with baristas and i mean countless emails to staff i remember and i didn't i didn't realize i think like I think it made it, it made me realize the difference in the way that we approach things than some of our, our peers do. And I remember we were emailing staff every few days in the beginning of the pandemic. We were updating them on like CDC guidelines and what they needed to do and where they could get tested. And we were, we felt like we needed to be a source of information for them because there was a lot out there and we have young people and we didn't, you know, they we wanted them to look at what the CDC and the Illinois Health Department was saying, and and get them kind of centered on. We were all on the same page. I had a conversation um, with another restaurateur, and we were talking, and this was several months in the pandemic, and they had not yet emailed their staff any like, "Hey, this is," yeah. uh-huh. and um, you know, it's I couldn't imagine how do you operate like that because you don't your staff is they're in the dark. If they don't, yeah. if you're not telling them what your plan is and how you're approaching these challenges, they're going to be totally in the dark. And how, what are they going to say to your customers and how are they going to react when they do pull them in? And how are they going to trust that we're, we have their safety in mind and we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to be smart about this. I mean, there were a lot of difficult decisions that we made through that process. When kids would get a, a COVID and they would get a quarantine, you know, we, we needed to follow all of the steps of the guidelines. And that meant quarantining multiple staff, you know, determining whether or not we needed to close a store down. Yeah. And all of these things, like all of these decisions, if you don't have the trust of your people because you're communicating with them, um, I mean, you're just going to create resentment and conflict and it's just going to be difficult to manage any of that. Oh my goodness. No, I think that that's such a critical thing as well. And something that I really feel differentiated the good companies from the not so good companies was the communication by leadership. At that time, I was at a company that I felt like the leadership was just always reaching out every day, telling us, okay, this is what you can do. This is what you should look for. This is what our plan is. And almost over communicating is always better than under communicating. And so, and I know even on your guys' website in the about us, it starts out with, we are a big family and the fact that you're operating it as such, um, really kind of is a testament to your guys' success and that it's not a fluke or an accident, but because of these pillars that you've incorporated for this business is why you're continually growing and succeeding. And of course. Yeah. And then having to pivot when you have a business, you're always going to be pivoting. You're always going to be growing. Nothing stays the same. You know, either you're getting better or you're yeah. getting worse. And so you're right. always striving to get better at things. Um, it's just so great to hear. And you know how much of a fan I am of you and your business and such. Uh, I know we're coming like way over time, yeah. but I've enjoyed this so much. Uh, I guess like last question and we'll definitely have you back on. Cause I feel like we've just kind of scratched the surface on things Yeah, and I want to talk more about your, uh, 
the wholesaling business as well, and which we'll have to do next time. But yeah, <laughs> uh, just kind of looking back, if you were to start this journey all over, mm. uh, what advice would you give yourself um, from 2006, knowing what you know now, like, or somebody, because you do consulting as well for businesses or cafes and such, like, what advice would you give your younger self or somebody that's looking to start out and they're like, Michael, I love what you guys are doing. You know, what advice do you have for me to when I'm starting out this business? Yeah, it's a tough question. I think like, you know, it's hard because I, I think about the the grind of it. And so I'm like, oh, I would have bought this machine instead of that machine. Uh -huh. We would have done this little particular thing instead of that particular thing. But we tried so many things and um and a lot of it didn't work out. And so one of the things that we always tried to do is stay on message and make it about coffee. And I think like maybe if I had like we talked about this already, it would be understanding the back end of the business. And I think like having a we felt like we did. You know, we didn't do it, you know, we got an SBA loan. We had to present the business to the SBA and um we had to have um uh, a financial statement. We had to have projections and all of those things. Yeah, but we were so naive about it. And I think that maybe um, a a more focus once we opened on collecting data and understanding it better um, would have helped us through some of those more most, most difficult years. You know, when we felt really great about what we were doing, but we weren't seeing the profits that we needed to sustain the business. Um, you know, had we um, maybe understood the importance of like the passion side of it, which we always got and that service and the coffee, but like the cold, hard facts of running a business yeah, and like, you know, maybe a healthy cynicism of what we were, what our expectations were and like a little more due diligence on the, the financial ends really important because a lot of people, like we said, it's like, you know, they want to open a bakery because they love to bake. Mm -hmm. And like, there's, that's only one part of the business. That's right. It's not a business, it's a hobby unless you know the other part, you know? That's right. Yeah. No, that's so helpful. And I know one of the things that you mentioned earlier that really kind of helped and propel you guys was that partnership or having a mentor type of person. And that's something that I always look for. Yeah. Uh, anytime I want to grow. And so I pay for a lot of coaches and mentors in my life Yeah, because if you can compress that time at which you need to learn it versus me being a fool when I was younger, thinking I could learn it all myself. And that's why like now you're in a position where you are consulting businesses and you're doing wholesaling for businesses and churches and organizations and things like that. So uh, I love that you're doing that and giving back in that way. And uh, we're going to definitely have you on again so that we could talk about the wholesaling portion of the business. But if there are businesses out there that are in your industry and they would, or they just would love to wholesale your coffee yeah. because you guys have such high quality and you guys have such a passion for the product that you're trying to service, uh, how could people reach out to you or if they wanted to 
hire you as a consultant? Like what are the best ways that people can reach out to you? Yeah, I think the the best and easiest is just an email. Uh, you can email me at michael at consciouscup.com. And, um, you know, if it's wholesale or events um, or, or consulting, we would connect with myself and our sales manager and, and we can uh, either talk remotely or, or have you guys out to do a coffee tasting and go from there. Yeah. So again, reach out to Michael. He is an expert, not only in the coffee business, but also as a business operator. So if you guys need help with starting your own cafe, or you just want a great product that you can serve to your clients, make sure you reach out to Michael. We'll have his email in the show notes um, so that you can send out an email directly to him or stop by one of their five cafes. I know how hard working he is. He might not be at the one that you stop in at, but uh, make sure <laughs> I help more of Yeah, and, and say hi and mention that uh, you heard him on this show. And uh, if you guys can't, please share this show with anybody that um, you know might find value in it. I know we talked a lot about coffee, but I feel like these things are universal truths for running or operating any type of business. And those four pillars, I'm telling you, I wrote down notes. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to review all of these things for myself. So I really appreciate all of the insight that you provided, Mike. And again, guys, please re put a nice review on so that Michael can uh, see what kind of value he's provided to everyone. And if he could be of help to you, reach out Michael at ConsciousCup.com or you could visit their website, ConsciousCup.com where you can find out more about what they're doing and their locations and things like that. So again, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope you found value in it. Thank you, Michael. And uh, next time we will bring on another great guest. But until then, have a great week, everyone. Thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. I truly respect your time. So I hope this was valuable to you. And if you're a new listener, then thank you for checking out the show. And don't forget, you can find all the resources, links, and show notes on our Facebook group, Chicago Business Review. Just go to Facebook and search Chicago Business Review so that you can find out all the latest info on future podcasts, get all the show notes, and network with other highly successful and driven entrepreneurs and professionals in Chicago. Also, be sure to contact me while you're over there and share any feedback, questions, or guest recommendations you have as well. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.